We've been talking the last few weeks about core values, core values. And uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about being salt and light. I'm going to keep bringing these up because this is kind of like a checklist. When you go out in the morning, you know, you have your cup of coffee, you get your breakfast, you kiss your wife, you do the certain things before you go. Well, you need a checklist to be salt and light. Amen? Check. Salt and light. Check. To, To have the word of God be your foundation, not anything else. Biblical authority, that was number two. And then last week on Easter Sunday, we started talking about core value number three, about a heart for the lost and how Jesus has a heart for the lost. We looked last week at, the, at Luke 15. And you know, it, what, what happens, I think what's happened today at the church is the church has kind of in a way become irrelevant. You know, the lost or, or someone, the unchurched comes in and they've heard it all before. They've gotten numb. We talked about a stewardess and how when the stewardess gets out in front, nobody listens to what she says because we know what she's going to say. And it's really not that relevant anyway. And I think the church has had a, had a time where the, the, the message that we're trying to give, and it's not, let me tell you, the good news, whenever we preach the good news, it is always going to be effective. There's never going to be that, that, there's never going to be a day that that won't be effective. But sometimes, you know, the word says to be wise as serpents, to change things up, to approach where the world is today. You know, Paul said to be all things to all men. We've got to be able to fish in the right place with the right lure. Wise as serpents. Amen. It means we got to think and the church needs to think every now and then. It's why last week I didn't do just a typical Easter Sunday service, even though it wound up being about the lost. But we talked about the sheep and from Luke 15, if you brought your Bibles, we're going to stay there a little bit longer. Luke 15, we're going to be looking at three stories. Last week, we looked at the first story in verse one about the 99 sheep. And what did we learn from the 99 and the one sheep? We learned that, uh, From the lost sheep, we learned that Jesus initiates reaching the lost. He doesn't wait for someone else to do it. When the shepherd notices that someone's gone, when you're in your work and you notice that someone's lost, he initiated it. He left the ones that didn't need it to go after the ones that needed it. And it really messed with the church. The church couldn't receive Jesus most of the time. Why? Because he wasn't with the ones that didn't need it. He was with the ones that needed it. He was with the sinners. How dare he go with the sinners? And what I want you to do is I want you to put two and two together with the church. How sometimes we're uncomfortable with people that come in here. Well, that's wrong. That's right. (laughs) That's wrong. That's right. Amen. (laughs) Right. Wrong. Okay. We got it. This is the place for sinners. This is the place for the hurt and the brokenhearted and the struggling. This is it. But Jesus initiates. Jesus initiates. Y'all know what initiate means? He doesn't wait for someone to tell him to do it. He goes and does it. He doesn't wait for someone else to do it. He does it. And this is our, this is our role. I said in first service, I'm going to say it again. Don't just have your little checklist. Yeah, Jesus initiates. Yep, check. Then we catch the next one. Lost people are a top priority for Jesus. Yep. No, 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 no. This is what we're to grab hold of. We're to grab hold of what Jesus believes and what he wants for us from the church. That he wants us to initiate reaching the lost. 
that he wants us to uh, have a passion for lost people. To have a passion. Jesus, the lost people are a top priority to Jesus. And number three, we learned this last week, that there is a celebration when lost sheep are found. Can I just tell you, last week we had a powerful service. First and second service. And four or five people got saved second service last week. And you know what? We need to have a baptism. People need to be baptized. And we need a celebration. We need to have a party. Because all of heaven had a party last week. And we need to join with heaven and get excited about winning people for Jesus. Amen. All right. So we'll start off right here. We're going to go start with Luke chapter 15, verse 8. The next story is the story about the uh, uh, lost coin. Let's, let's read it. Here we go. Verse 8. Jesus told the people another story. What will a woman do if she has ten silver coins and loses one of them? Won't she light a lamp, sweep the floor, and look carefully until she finds it? Then she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, let's celebrate. Whoops, I'm sorry. Then she'll call her friends and, and, and neighbors and say, let's celebrate. I found the lost coin. Jesus said, in the same way. Now, I want you to catch this. He's now taking it from the analogy to the church. In the same way, angels are happy even when one person turns to him. So you can't say, well, that's just some neat story. No, Jesus took the analogy and then said, in the same way, this is how heaven responds when somebody gives their heart to Jesus. So what does this tell us? What does the story about the lost coin tell us about Jesus? Number one, Jesus cares about quantity. You know, I want you to know that my God cares about quality. It says that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That scripture deals with the quality of your life. That the life that you're leading, if it is not a life of abundancy, if it's not a life with spirit filled of, of comfort and peace, you know, what are the names of God? Is that your life? If it's not, God came to give you more. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. We are to be a peaceful person. Why? Because God is our peace. In the midst of the storm, as we sang today, my God is the peace in the storm. He just speaks to the storm and it calms down. And he says to the disciples, don't you know who I am down here? What is wrong with you? You think this boat's going to sink? I'm on it. And you know what? You're on it and you've got me in you. This boat's not going anywhere. But just to make you feel better, peace be still. Sometimes in the natural, we just need a breakthrough. Even though God is the God of the storm. He's the God in this. He's not in the storm. He is the God over the storm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Nothing goes on on this earth that God doesn't know about and can't handle. Are you with me? Amen. Jesus cares about quantity. What do I mean? Not just quality that we live a holy life, but that he cares about how many people are reached. What do you mean? We can see in the story before with the 99 sheep and the one, and then again with the 10 coins, the nine coins and the one. God's a God of numbers. God's a God of growth. God's a God of increase. God's a God of more than enough. I mean, he named one book numbers. He likes to know who, who he's got. He likes to know who he doesn't have. He likes to take account 
and he likes for us to take account. With the 99 sheep, with the one person. And you know what? In other words, he's saying no matter how many you have, as long as there's another lost person, you've got to go get them. You see, Jesus died for everyone. And because he died for all and has grace for all, as long as there's one person who has never witnessed or experienced the wonderful grace of Jesus, he wants us to keep reaching, to keep touching, to keep finding, to keep seeking, to keep saving. To keep saving. You know, what happens in church is we get comfortable with who we have. And a lost person comes in here and we don't know what to do. A sinner. Let me just tell you, I'm a, I, I've sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we get so judgmental. And I've had somebody come up to me and say, Pastor, do you know who's in your congregation? Well, for the most part, I don't know everybody, but I'm trying to get to know them. I'm trying to get to know your name. Don't anybody raise your hand. But how many, how many people here have I reintroduced myself to more than three or four times? Probably Everybody. But I try hard to get your name and to remember it. But then somebody comes up and says, well, did you know that, that so-and-so owns a bar? Like, yeah. What do you want me to do about it? It's not my job. My job's not to tell you everything you're doing wrong. Your job's not to tell people what they're doing wrong. Our job is to love on them and to show them Jesus and to let Jesus deal with them. Your conviction's not going to do nothing to them. But the word convicting, the word Jesus Christ, when he brings conviction, he brings it in a way that makes you want to change it. How many knows that when your parent got on to you, sometimes you didn't always want to listen? Sometimes even when the Lord talks to you, it's like, ah, I don't know that I wanted to hear that. But the thing about the Lord is when you start to study him, you start to realize he is for you 100%. 100%. But what happens if a lost person comes in here, sits down beside you? And let me tell you, the lost, this is a place for the lost. This is a place for the hurting. This is a place for the sinner. You know, maybe this was a perfect church until I showed up. No longer is it perfect. It's messy now. I'm here. I mean, how, how many knows that this morning's worship wasn't messy, but boy, it was, it was going. We were shouting and hollering and hooping. And the louder we get, the more I can miss the lyrics and nobody notice. <laughs> Who cares? I know, the, I know God doesn't care. He, he's looking at my heart. He's looking at your heart. And, you know, if somebody comes and sits beside you and they don't exactly line up with, with how you think they should be, try to look at them through Jesus' eyes. And you know what? He is so thankful that they showed up. And you know what? He's so thankful you showed up. What made you so special that that person beside you not so special? Did that make any sense? Okay. Well, there's a story that, that I've heard that when we get to heaven, that we're going to be asked two questions. Get up to the pearly gates. We finally see Jesus Christ face to face. And he's going to ask you the question. Did you come alone? 
Can you imagine the feeling of standing before God, the father, before the son and see the nails in his, to see the holes in his hands, to see what we're going to see when we get to heaven and him ask us, did you come alone? And us have to stumble around and say, well, yeah. Wow. Are we happy with just getting to heaven ourselves? Is that our goal just to save ourselves? I mean, can you imagine the impact that's going to have on us when we shuffle our feet and hang our heads and mumble? Yep. I came alone. Well, imagine after you've just answered that and the next question come. Why? Why? Why did you come to heaven alone? Tell you one thing, when you read these stories, you see that Christ had an incredible heart for the lost. He was absolutely intent on reaching all of the lost. Number two, Jesus persistently searches. If you notice the story about the coin, the woman kept looking and kept looking and didn't stop. After the first hour, she didn't stop. After the first day, she didn't stop. She kept after it until she found it. That's how it is in my house when we lose the remote control. I wish I was kidding, but everything stops. I don't care what you're doing. Everybody stop what you're doing and find the remote. We're going to turn the house upside down. You know, she kept moving stuff around and kept looking until she found it. She did not stop. How many here did you have somebody in your life that persistently pursued you until they got you? For Christ. That's okay. We don't mind to use our passion to persist. I persistently pursued Elizabeth. I continue to. I continue to. Don't I? Well, I guess you have to answer yes now, don't you? But can you imagine pursuing someone for Christ like that? With all your heart. Jesus pursued him with all his heart. And he looks to us to carry on his ministry. My mother, I was saved at five. And it was my mother that pursued me. At five years old. Same thing we've done in our household. We're not letting our kids out of our house unless they know Jesus. We're persistent. We're going to stick with them. We don't make them do it. We wait until they're at the age that they start asking. And let me tell you, we cast the net. We throw the net out and we pull them in. But we've got to do this out in our work. We've got to go find out who's lost. I know you know a lost person. I want you to know something. Someone persistently pursued me to this church. And it was Pastor Chris. And you know what? I believe I even offended him in it. He called me up and I basically hung up on him. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're coming from. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. And he kept pursuing me. And Elizabeth and I were talking this week. And, you know, really, she caught on to it sooner than I did. But just like the story of the lost sheep, I believe Chris put me up on his shoulders and carried me out of where I was. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just following the Lord. He said, Paul, I believe it's the Lord that you're to come here and to do sound. And he hung on to me and he carried me. I believe the same thing happened with Pastor Stephen. You know, where would I be had somebody not done that for me? And I was saved. I was spirit filled, but I was lost. 
Can anybody else relate? Are you saved, but you're lost? Jesus persistently searches. If you study Jesus' healings, 34 out of 40 of the healings, the people who needed healing did not find Jesus by himself. Either Jesus found them or someone brought them to him. Now, they were hurting people, yet they needed someone to bring them into the presence of God. Now, I'm going to throw little numbers at you. There was a survey done on how people came to Christ, why people came to Jesus. 1% came because of crusades or revivals. Hope you all know what those are, just big meetings that people have around. You know, there was a tent meeting years ago back here at Church on the Hill at All Good First Baptist. The Spirit, the Spirit of God fell back in the 60s or 70s. Um, but it says 1% received Christ through crusades or revivals. 4% through church programs. 4% through Sunday school. 5% just walking in off the street. 8% by the pastor. Now, you'd think it'd be higher than that. But it's not. 76% by friends and relatives. by friends and relatives. Can I tell you something? If your friend is going to go to heaven, it's going to be because you got him there. You're not saving him. Jesus saves him. But somebody's got to reach him. And if your lost person that you're working around right now is going to find Jesus, it's going to have to be done by you. It's almost a fact. 76 people are going to heaven because somebody else invited them. I want to encourage you. Pastor Stephen and I are going to talk in the next few weeks that we need to start a friend day. We need to bring a friend. Bring somebody. You know, how many here have come to this church because you were invited? That's how I came. I got here because I was invited. And you know what? Sometimes we like to put on a show and act like we don't want to be invited. But if you do a study of people, people want to be asked. They want to be included. They don't want to be rejected. You need to ask them. Maybe you'd say, well, pastor, uh, they come out of this kind of background. And I'm afraid you're going to do some enemy's camp. And we're going to be doing this. What do I do with that? It's not your problem. Your problem is to to be obedient to the Lord and to cast your net. If they show up, now it's up to God. And I want to encourage you, maybe our worship might be a little bit of a stretch for them. But a seed gets planted, maybe they go home and say, okay, let's go back to our church. Fine by me, we're not called to get everybody. We're called to be obedient. You know, we plant a seed. Today might be your first day. I promise you, if you'll come back next week, it won't be quite so in your face. Why? Because you've already been through it once. Let me tell you, we put you through it this morning. Got Debbie Holmes down there with the kids jumping up and down. Man, bring it on. I was ready to get excited. I saw it here. I saw it here. I saw it here. And you know what? It was getting a little bit infectious on the adults. Yeah. Somebody's going to get free. Somebody's going to get free. You know, I, I, I have struggled as a pastor sometimes on what I preach. Right now I'm preaching on, the, on Wednesday night, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and tongues. And you know what? Fear wants to come on me. 
But you know what? The Lord's led me to do it. My leadership has encouraged me to do it. I'm coming under that authority. God, it's your problem. It's not mine. As long as I'm obedient and I come under authority, God's the re- God is responsible for the results, not me. I can't save you. My blood's only going to get you dirty. And put a stain in your clothes. Jesus' blood's going to cleanse you. So, say, well, I don't know what they're going to think. It's not your problem. Cast your net. And don't let inviting them to church make you cop out of leading them to Christ. That's an easy cop out. Hey, come to church. No. Do you know Jesus? If you were to die today, where are you going? Are you accounted for? Well, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, because I I don't do a lot of bad things. No, you know what? You are a pretty good person. But Scripture says there's only one way. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's easy to open up a conversation. And let me tell you, it's worth risking the relationship to get them out of hell. We talked this morning about kid, your kids that may, may not be saved, but you, know, you may say, well, they're going to get mad at me. Well, you know what? If they're going to hell, risk them getting mad at you. Love them enough to to throw the word out. You know, the word says that my word will not return void. But it'll accomplish what it's set forth to do. Maybe you don't lead them to the Lord, but you plant the seed. You know, a seed was planted when you came to this church. I I promise you, I don't care if you go to any church. The first time you go, you're going to be uncomfortable. But a seed gets planted. The next time you come, it's a little bit easier. The next time you come, it's a little bit easier. But Jesus persists, he pursues, and he wants you to pursue, pursue. Amen? But finally, and this is a common thread with all the stories. Number three, there's a great celebration when the lost coin is found. There's a great celebration when the lost coin is found. I encourage you, with family members, with workers, risk You know, I I don't want to say that you need to risk losing your job because of religious um, strongholds that you might have. But the Lord will give you an opportunity to reach the lost. How do I know that? Because his word tells us to do it. And he wouldn't tell us to do something that would be impossible to do. You follow that? Jesus doesn't give us instructions that we are not supposed to follow out or can't follow out. He gives us instructions that are to be followed out. And then when we line up with his word, he's going to help you follow them out. As ch- at Church on the Hill, this is a desire of mine and our leadership. And I believe as a church that we start becoming a lost seeking church. A place for people that hurt to come in and to get mended. A place where relationships are broken to be restored. For marriages to be restored. For relationships between dads and sons and mothers and daughters. A place for people that have health issues to get healed. God's the healer. Can y'all grab hold of that? You know, I I have sat under teaching where the pastor makes you make a commitment to go reach a lost person. I'm not going to do that. Jesus said it. Go do it. 
you're going you're gonna to reap the benefit of what you're going to walk through. The, the person's going to get saved, but the Lord's going to bless you because you're going to line up with him. Has anybody here ever led somebody to Christ? What a feeling. What a feeling. Let me tell you something. I said this this morning. Tiger Woods needs Jesus. Who cares what he shoots? He's going to hell. He's a Buddhist. And everybody wants to get all bent out of shape about what he's shooting and how he's living his life. He's going to hell. I'm not sitting here saying that we need to pray for Tiger Woods. Somebody may feel like they need to. But what really matters is your friend that you're living with out here, your friend that you're working with going to hell. Let's go. Cast your net. Let the results be up to God. If they don't bite, that's not your problem. Amen. Father, I just ask you right now to just empower us. Empower us to reach the lost. Lord, your word says that you give increase to the church. And Lord, we're not looking for, uh, what do you call it? Transferred growth from McDonald's to Burger King to wherever the greatest program is. No, Lord, there's enough lost people in our community to 10 times this church. Lord, help us to reach one. We can't reach five until we reach one. Lord, I just ask you to give us courage. Lord, I remember the first time I did it, and it was with an atheist. And Lord, he was smarter than me. But Lord, my, my, my role was to be obedient to you and to throw the word out. And see what comes back. And that, that person that I tried to lead to the Lord still, I don't believe, knows Christ. And I pray for him right now, Lord. But Lord, help us. Help us. For people that are on their way to, to total torture for the rest of their life. That we could lead them to safety. Lead them to you, Jesus. Help us, Lord.